I'm very fortunate to be here today with Andre Asiman, Professor of Comparative Literature at City University of New York and um, author of the hit novel, Call Me By Your Name. So thank you very, very much for joining us here in Melbourne. It's a great um, privilege and, a, and an honour to be speaking with you here today. For me as well. It's a great pleasure. Thank you. Perhaps you could begin, Professor, by giving us a brief overview of your life and story and, and how it was that you came to be here in Melbourne on this autumn evening for your first time, I believe. F very first time. Yeah. Um, I think that my whole life begins in Egypt and uh, there is a, a moment of... It's a bit of a shock because I'm kicked out of Egypt, which is a place that I didn't want to be in to begin with. So I was born there, I didn't like it, I couldn't wait to get out, and then eventually I was forced out because of political situation. And essentially I never got over that. I think it reappears in almost everything I write. The absence of a homeland or of a home, they're not necessarily synonymous, but they mean the same thing in the end. In other words, a home cannot be your homeland, but it's still where you long to be and where you were made to expect to be. So you always have this expectation of something that occurred in the past. I mean, no, let me rephrase this. Um, you are taught that you will be in a place, even though you're also understanding that you will never be in that place. So that kind of um, bickering that occurs inside of you and in the family as well, that we belong here, but we don't belong here, has stayed with me forever. And so I take it everywhere I go. I write about exile, about displacement, about ambiv ambivalence, ambivalent sexuality. Everything that I write is essentially um, at, at loggerheads with itself. I'm, I hate to use the word contradiction, it's too simple. Um, and eventually I, I wrote a book called Out of Egypt, which is about my life in Egypt, growing up in Egypt. It was successful and I kept writing about exile, exile, exile after that all the time until I got sick and tired of exile and I decided to write about something else and I wrote this book about a gay love affair. Mm. And I'm, Out of Egypt had done very well. I didn't need to write another book if mm -hmm. I wanted to be known. But this has basically exploded and once the film comes out, everybody talks about it, everybody writes to me and it's, it's, it's there. And... Um, so I get invited to places, and eventually I got invited to Australia to come to Melbourne. <laughs> well, very lucky to have you here. So you are a professor of comparative literature. You teach the classics right. and, and, and in English style, with a particular interest in Marcel Proust. I hope I got the name right. You did. Uh, could, you, <laughs> could you please reflect on Proust's influence on your style and perhaps also on the broader themes that um, he seems to be concerned about, namely memory, uh, the passing of time, and nostalgia for things that we have lost? Yes. I think that the nostalgia comes naturally to me, so finding it in Proust was um, sort of an easy thing. Proust is, is a nostalgist, he longs for the past, or at least he claims to long for the past. Uh, it's an easy gesture, it's an easy move for him. And I immediately connected with that when I read Proust. I was very young when I read Proust. Um, but there's also many other things in Proust. Proust is interested in people and he wants to examine or let's say excavate their personalities, their motivations, what it is that they're hiding from you and what it is that you're hiding and what are your motivations when you're dealing with others. Mm. So he's very interested in that. I don't think there's another author who's done it as well as he has. Even psychologists are not able to penetrate the mind as, as he has. 
And I was interested in that too because I don't trust people and I always assume they are to get me or to hurt me. So I'm always sort of analyzing what does he want? Why? Why? Mm. What do they want? And, and so with that I connected as well. But the third item is the most important. There was a particular kind of cadence in the rhythm that Proust has invented for us. Mm. And once you are, you allow yourself to be trapped and caught and basically carried away by that rhythm, you begin to see life differently. And what I wanted for people to do when they read me is to like the rhythm that I gave them, to accept the fact that they will be carried away by it. Mm. And once they do that, they can no longer tell whether it is they themselves they are reading or me. Mm. And the fact that there's a confusion is a Proustian move. Mm. You, when you read Proust, you think you're reading yourself. You're not reading Marcel. Yeah. And and I wanted that to be, or maybe I didn't even want it. It just happens. Well, it did. It did happen in in Call Me by Your Name when I, I, I was reading it. I, I felt my myself slipping into the grooves of Elio's consciousness, and mm. I actually almost like like felt sort of like headachey at a point because of this obsessiveness, like, right, about right. about Oliver, and it, it actually was so empathetic in the way that I was able to be absorbed into his, his well, mind. A lot of people get absorbed into it and they start crying because they yeah. see the, the trauma that they've experienced. But you know, there are a lot of you know straight men who read my book and begin to question whether what their sexuality really mm-hmm. is because they're seduced by it. Mm-hmm. And there are girls who are 12, 13 years old who mm-hmm. are they start crying for days mm. so they write to me mm. and their mothers tell me she's yeah. been crying for days I don't know what you've done <laughs> and I, of course I didn't want to do that yeah, but it's something that's totally unintentional uh-huh. and beyond Proust I think what mm. really like I loved about your work is 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 how it's sort of suffused with classical and other literary references like I remember Elio's father speaking and quoting Dante and, and Dante's Inferno um, and, and, and Virgil as well, um, particularly the image of reaching out to the further bank from, from book six. Um, you see these subtle references all the way through, and of course, when they go to the lake and they literally dredge up a, a classical monument, I mean, this is a, quite a, a, a potent symbol of, I think, what your book does. It actually yeah. brings the classics back into, into our consciousness. Um, so can you f- reflect on um, what moves and influences you about the classics as a writer? The classics are, for me, they're very, they're, they're the, the best books that have ever been written. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's go with that. Um, they also are the safest books. In other words, they're always established, they are there. Um, when I was reading the classics as a child, I was in Egypt, and there was something about the classics that made me feel I belong to this tradition, even though I'm out there in this outbank of the world which has no connection with the rest of the universe because it was really secluded and yet when I think of the classics it sort of tells me no no you belong to a long tradition which you can communicate with yes and become and part of <laughs> exactly so in many ways the classics for me represented a connection with history and with the rest of Europe mm. and also with the very best of Europe Mm. And I wanted that because it was good. But at the same time, the classics are, um, they're, they're so profound. Mm. So when, the, when Elio sort of masturbates with a, with a peach, yeah. he's also thinking of the peach as a character yeah. from Ovid that mm. has been transformed into poor peach and she's like suffering. Yeah. Um, or there's a scene, there's a big scene in the third chapter when they, it occurs in Rome and they're having this dinner together, everybody's getting drunk, and suddenly this guy arrives very late because he's, he got lost on the 
away and he's drunk too and he starts talking gibberish and so on. And that is all sort of a pastiche of the symposium by Plato. Very few people yeah, know yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and so basically this is the, what is love? What is the theory of love? Let's what talk about. They're, they're basically playing on Plato. Uh-huh. And I love that because I think the classics are what, in one way or another, they are what unifies us among ourselves because it's the common language we have and it also unifies us with the past mm. and so it's something I consider essential and very safe it's they're always going to be there as long as we have books yeah. we will have the classics they're never going away yeah that's very beautiful and and when I when I mentioned before I think it is a, a classical work or a book that you know pays homage to the classics I think like, the attitude is yeah. classical a classical attitude yes yeah. the, 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 in other the style is not yeah. it's I mean we can use the word fuck a few times <laughs> but it doesn't yeah. mean that we're not aware that basically the language is polished yeah. um, the writing is I think pretty decent yeah. it, it yeah. doesn't it, the standards are high uh-huh. I think I Absolutely. mean I shouldn't be saying this but I'm, I'm conscious I mean if my sentences are sort of awkward I fix them mm. I don't want them to be awkward and mm. so um, I'm writing if I can claim this which is very arrogant I'm writing for for the great books mm-hmm. I'm writing to them mm-hmm. I want them to hear me mm. I'm not writing for people who read magazines <laughs> <laughs> but I think the, through the film and the, the book as well you've inducted many people into that, that tradition as I a result so. of how accessible I, it has been I in terms of a love so. story I yeah. would love to think that. Yeah. The funny thing is that people may not have read my book before. Yeah. Now they read it. Exactly, yeah. And, and these are people who would normally not want to read that kind of a book because yeah. it's a difficult book. It's not, it's not easy, easy. Mm. I mean, the writing is... Is mm. sometimes even precious. But, yeah, but it's like it's like when you work through Proust. It's it's a, it's a labor. It's an effort. Some yes. no, I'm not saying it's difficult to read at, your book. At first, it at day, first, you <laughs> have to accept yeah, um, yeah. the rhythm. Once you're in it, yeah. it's easy. Yeah. So do you think in the modern world, I mean, because of this sort of nodding and gesture towards the classics and, and how you apotheosize it in, in some ways, do you think that there's something like deficient or something in, the, in, in, in our modern world in terms of our considerations of love and our, our consideration of beauty and, uh, no, and the I sublime? No, I don't think there's, there's something deficient. I think that the art is deficient. Mm-hmm. The standards of high art, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about middle brow art, mm-hmm. I'm talking high art, yeah. are totally lacking. We want things to be simple and easy mm-hmm. and quick. And uh, there's a sense of, and I was speaking about this a couple of days ago in Sydney when I was making fun of Strunk and White. I don't know if you know who they are. No. Strunk and White are two individuals who wrote a book called The Elements of oh, Style. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Okay, okay, but that's exactly what people think that good writing is. Yeah, yeah, Simple, yeah. declarative, yeah. indicative mood. Uh-huh. Never the subjunctive. Never, never the conditional mood. No long subordinates. Yeah, no. yeah. I spoke about subordination yeah, yeah, yeah. forever. And basically <laughs> people don't like that. And I think so. I don't think it's that our appreciation of love is any different. Uh, the Greeks didn't have a good idea of what love was either <laughs> uh, but they knew how to speak about it mm. and they knew how to elaborate as opposed to simplify which we don't in short declarative academic writing you in can't, many ways. You, you can't, can't. No, you can't. No. It's, you it, it a, destroys it and you get a credit or a pass on your assignment you know? <laughs> exactly. um, okay so moving along um, in terms of the in terms of the impact that the book has had on attitudes towards sexuality and gender particularly like people um, attitudes towards gay or bisexual or, or mm. even bi-curious um, men and women, um, people reading the book and interrogate their own sexuality. 
Um, what, what kind of like impact do, do you think that your work has had and the film as well in terms of uh, making people feel that it's okay to be authentic, you know, in, in themselves and in, in, in their sexual identities? I think that at this point in, I think in time, most people are, they don't, they're not fighting their sexuality any longer. I mean, people are coming out all the time. Uh, it's older people who basically regret not having come out to their parents mm. because their father is long dead, that sort of thing. And they write to me about that. Um, in many ways, I think that the book um, sanctions the absence of repression. Mm. And it's an encouragement, particularly to parents, to heed what their children are saying and to accept. There's no choice but to accept. But this is like, I come back to Plato again, you know, the, the, the father, I can't remember his name, this is horrible, but uh, he represents in many ways a platonic form of what a father should be in terms of being loving yes. and accepting oh, God, and, and yes. in listening as well and almost encouraging his son to, you know, to feel the pain rather than to just sort of, you know, stiff up a lip and... Oh yeah, it's going to go away. You yeah, know, yeah. No. I thought that was a remarkable... Well, I th I, but I think... I believe it, and I think everybody accepts that. Yeah. Well, I mean, we fight many times when we suffer, and especially with love. Yeah. We we fight it. We try to hate the other person and get rid of them, and this, and what the father is saying: No, 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 don't don't fight it. It's it's good to to suffer. Yeah. And and then he makes the the other declarative statement that is: I could have had what you had, but I never did. Mm. And so there is this, even a touch of nostalgia on the part of the father's yeah. part. And, and what, what kind of father would tell that to his son? Yeah. I mean, it's not just the son coming out to the father. Mm. It's the father coming out to the son. Precisely, and it's remarkable. And, yeah. and I think that that's very moving. Yeah, yeah, deeply so. Uh, beyond the, like, the idea of reconciling oneself with, you know, that, that Greek concept of nothi suitan, I don't know, that's not the right pronunciation, but it means become who you are, oh, essentially. Yes. Um, and... There's a sense in which that the, the, the book and the film is about um, sexual awakening, okay, a, 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 a coming into one's right. sexual sexuality, um, the act of making love as well. But I think what hasn't been discussed as much in, insofar as the things that I've read is the idea of the book being a, a religious awakening as well. And there's a, a beautiful line about, you know, when, when Elio and Oliver are together and Elias had the blood nose and... and and they speak about the Star of David that they're wearing on, on the chest. And he says, um, you know, you're not a Jew of discretion or something to that effect. Yeah. Or, or no, Elio says that, Mum says we're Jews of discretion. But then after that, the next scene is him, you know, coming out of the water, like almost like a With baptismal sort yeah. of yes. image. And, and he's wearing the, the Star Very of David. Very well said. Yeah. I, I had never planned for this, but it's yeah. in the film. He comes out of the water and yeah. he is baptised. Very well said. Yeah. Um, I think that he's accepted his religion and mm. he's open. But I think the religion motif, I wasn't really interested about the Jewishness mm. per se, but they are the two Jews in the town. Yeah. And, and so it, it automatically binds them somehow. They have something in common. They may have nothing else in common, yeah. but they do have that in common and it, it sort of solidifies their relationship. Mm. And the fact that Elio accepts the, to wear the Star of David mm -hmm. Uh, for me, is is a, clearly a symbolic acceptance of his own sexuality, Absolutely. which he's accepted from the page one in the book. And from page one, there's no, I am not gay. I'm not gay. I mean, yeah. he autumn from the very beginning, he's saying, I know what I want. I want to sleep with this guy. Yeah. Period. I think it also taps into that like almost Kafkaesque as a writer sense of him. There's like that outsider complex, being being gay, and you know, being you know what, yes. away from 
you know, what, what is heteronormative, but also being Jewish in a village which isn't Jewish. And, yes. and the same as Oliver being, is it New Hampshire or something? He's the only yeah. um, Jew in that, in that particular um, locale. So h- how do you, going back to that idea of like exile and outsider yes. and alienation, is well, it something that's been pertinent for you as, as a writer? It is totally pertinent to me because I remember when I was in Egypt, I was 10 years old, even perhaps younger. And there was another boy and he must have been 16, 17. And he wore a Star of David, hmm. or actually not even a Star of David, he wore a mezuzah, which is, I don't know, but you know, it's, know. it's another symbol that Jews have. And I saw this, I said, what is he, crazy? Yeah. This is Egypt, and he's walking around with this thing? Uh, and this is after the Egyptian nationalism, yes, and yeah, expelled was, the Jews. Yes, and, yes, know. and in fact, he ended up pretty badly. Uh, years later, I found out. But, I mean, he was so totally okay with being Mm -hmm. Jewish, whereas I was not ever going to wear one. And I envied him and I became interested in him because he was a Jew who was not afraid of being Jewish. And I, of course, I thought I wanted to have a friendship with him. He wasn't interested because he was much older. But I'm sure that if I had known about sex back then, maybe I would have thought that there was some kind of attraction. But I'm not Mm. sure. Mm. I couldn't say. For for you, as a a, a writer and and a human, you obviously live in New York now, and in some academic writing, that's been called the uh, global um, capital for uh, the Jewish diaspora. Yes. And, 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 you know, versus that idea of having to be rooted in a particular homeland, like in Israel and the Holy Lands. Right. How, how do you, like, interact in New York oh. as, a, as, a Jewish, as a Jewish man? I, I put it this way. New York has made it very, very easy for me to be Jewish uh-huh. uh, in the sense that m- most of the people I know are either half Christian or Jewish. Yeah. Um, but I'm a very bad Jew. I don't like Judaism. I don't like the religion. Mm. I I was never the equivalent of the communion, bar mitzvah. Uh-huh. I was. I refused the whole thing. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because I hate religion. Uh-huh. I, I really don't yeah. like religion, any religion. Mm-hmm. But uh, and price probably because I had to pay a price for being Jewish when mm-hmm. I was growing up. So I just I have no tolerance for religion. Mm-hmm. So in New York, there are many practicing Jews, and they invite me to their weddings and things and and I have to go but I hate going I really See, I, I find that surprising because I um, I thought that you know in the, the whole beautiful image of you know call me by your name and I'll call you by your name mm. that recalled um, to me the Song of Solomon verse chapter 6 verse oh. 3 or something about I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine this idea of total like um, I don't know total sort of exchange of self or total you know two hearts beating as one and mm. I don't know total commitment trust love loyalty intimacy like, intimacy exactly yes. yeah and, well I, I believe that I yeah. believe that it's possible it doesn't mm. always last mm. but it's it's it exists mm. and it exists capriciously like whimsically because mm. you, you can't always arrest it there mm-hmm. but but it is something to be cultivated mm. um, and one works at it because you don't want to lose intimacy once you lose intimacy you're with somebody, but it doesn't really matter. Yeah, exactly. What did you think of the film? Um, what do you think was gained and, and maybe lost by the adaptation? I think the film was perfect. Mm-hmm. I, I love the film. I, in fact, ironically, <laughs> I was watching it on the plane coming here. Really? Yeah. Um, just to refresh my mind, I've seen it a million times. Uh-huh. and. I like the film. I like the fact that it takes its time. Uh-huh. It is not in a rush to make the point that they're going to have sex. Mm. And it makes you 
almost it forces you to slip into their lives and to understand how this thing is being worked out between them how their the tension is increasing constantly mm. and you're not feeling it but it's there mm. and then you have this moment of eruption in front of the monument when the kid just basically doesn't know what he's saying he may not even have planned any of it but he's telling him mm. I'm interested in you mm. I have feelings for you oh, what he's saying it very ambiguously of course because he might want to withdraw everything he's just said mm. um, the film is, is very faithful to the spirit of the book. Now, there are many changes that occurred. Among others, there's no sense of the future, which is totally out of the world. There's no trip to Rome, which was, I think, pretty important for me. But it doesn't matter, because I think the end of the book, most people get to the end of the book, and they always write to me and they say, I've, I've cried. I get, the moment I could feel the end coming, I was already crying. And I don't understand why. Really? I don't. Yeah. And I'm being very honest. It's very hard for me to understand. I cried a lot. <laughs> why? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, why? Because it's this sense that, you know, something profoundly beautiful exists only once in a lifetime and it's just oh. sort of slipped you by. I think that's pretty devastating at least, yeah. It is devastating. And I think the film, even though it has a scene that was never in the book, it's a scene when Elio is staring at the fireplace. Yeah. Um, I think that that captures exactly what the end of the book was doing mm. in its own in, in in film language, which is totally different from book language. It does it achieves the same effect. Now, why is it that this film people go to see it many many times? Mm. Uh, and why is it that the people read the book many times? Mm. And why does it have this? impact on people what is it actually saying to them that they never tell me because yeah. they can't formulate it I don't know what that is mm. I cannot answer that question mm. I mean I wish I knew because yeah. if I knew I would have a formula and I would write a book every six, <laughs> yeah, exactly. every six months but it's it's really very difficult to say the yeah. only thing that I and I say this many times um, the only scene that means something to me personally is when they are in Rome and they're kissing against the wall and Elio is so entranced by the kiss mm. that he doesn't care that these two old men are walking by and saying, you know, in Mussolini's time, those two guys would have been arrested. Yeah. Um, he doesn't care. And I've had a moment like this in my life against a wall. And yeah. every time I go to that wall, which is not in You revisit it. Yeah. Wow. I am heartbroken oh. because I realize at that wall that my life could have taken a turn in the totally different direction. And it didn't. And so when I go back to that wall, I see the moment. I can almost touch that moment when, by sheer idiocy on my part, yeah. which was also a touch of genius because it would have created a disaster. <laughs> but That life with that particular oh, that, woman, that, yeah. It was a disaster. <laughs> but in fact, but I do regret it. Hmm. I'm grateful it never happened, but I regret it because I knew that at that moment, my life had come had blossomed yeah. against that wall. And so I wanted that scene at the wall. Mm. But most people, they read about the wall and they keep going. Yeah. Um, I've got, um, we're about, we're 30 minutes in, so I've okay. got about three more questions and we'll Fine. be done. You can go have a shower. But, um, <laughs> no, I've taken yeah. a shower already. Oh, perfect. So okay, relax. Ex ex excellent. I was um, going to nap, but then yeah. I said I don't have time <laughs> no, to you're going to roll through, yeah. It's the best way to be jet lag. <laughs> but um, I, I think that it is so profoundly like um, soul rending if that's the right word um because it, it it does confront you with like a like a vision of everyone kind of looks on elio and oliver and the the loss that that happened as a result of that and you don't get the sense of how 
deep that loss was in the film as you do in the book. But we all look on our own lives and interrogate and we think, oh, you know, I've had a, a moment of love like that and, and, you know, but I didn't live a life with that person when I could have. So we, we're mm. kind of confronted with all the selves we could have been, all the happiness that yes. we could have had. And, and that's profoundly, like, um, hauntingly beautiful, but, but profoundly shocking and, and, and disturbing and devastating. Yeah. It's, for me, the ending and being oh, confronted yeah. with the different selves, it, I, I've only seen it done a couple of times in literature and, and never as well as with your book. And that's why I thought that the film maybe could have put something in there in terms of you know the 20-year meeting after which but I think he wants was to do a sequel I mean that's what yeah. he was saying is that what that's going to be unpacked I don't know yeah. I don't yeah. know there's talk of it and but I don't know if it's yeah. it's, it's palaver or it's uh-huh. real yeah. he is very committed to it but there are too many other individuals involved yeah. Yeah. but you're touching on something that's very important for me it's, yeah. the, it's a particular it's a verb mood it's the might have been yeah the might and, have been and I'm writing a whole book on might, might have, have been. been it's like too perfect lover or what's that sort of what's the, what's the mood what's, I'm trying to think the might is there actually anyway, it's yeah. a conditional it's a conditional might, that's yeah, right it's yeah, a yeah. past conditional the might have been yeah. and, and that is a dimension of our lives that we seldom visit because it's 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 awful it's infinite though it could be you know well, that's exactly it yeah. and, and so it goes it forces us to go backwards and forwards yes. because it might have been it's still with us and it might have be achieved in the future and we dread it and we desire it and we don't know and so yeah. this whole condition of the might have been might be the moving click that this thing that makes you say my god this is not just about the love lost but it's a love that could have been and hasn't quite resolved itself. Yes. And, and that's, that's disturbing. Yeah. I, I've only seen it done in, in, in McEwen's On Chesil Beach at the end. Oh. And he says, this is how the course of a life could, could change. And because he didn't call out to his lover on the beach and say, oh. I'm sorry, or I love you. Um, but the, the second half of the book, like your um, ghost spots section, sort yes. of flips by life very quickly. I think it's so beautiful. You know, I, I, and, I, I, and, and it's sad because ultimately the life they did lead yeah. um, is, is not fulfilling in some ways. That's compared true. to the infinite possibilities in them in their in their minds, and I like the fact that Elio says when he says, "Come and visit my family." Yeah, and he says, "No." Yeah, because he doesn't <laughs> want to say. Yeah. Obviously, he still is not over it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. neither is Oliver, for that matter. Yeah, but the, but coming back to the final sure. sort of questions is, there's that beautiful line at the end, last couple of pages about the memories and the instances you've had with your lovers and partners and you know lovers and friends. They're never, they're never really gone. And you use this sort of expression, it was like a beautiful summer firefly or there was a sort of like a beautiful, like a summer field, like this almost like eternal sort of space of memory mm. where in which, you know, you, you and your lover from 40 years ago on the wall in Rome are still together in some ways. It oh, doesn't disappear. Like yesterday was like tomorrow or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that, that's uh, just one sentence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that captures it because, you know, what was just happened yeah. happened centuries ago exactly and what happened 20 years ago is just like this morning yeah precisely and I think yeah but it's because I'm always challenging time uh-huh. and you said you initially started by saying that time is mortality uh-huh. and I think it is yeah. I mean time equals death and yeah. we don't like death and I do not accept death yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that we try to negotiate with it however feebly we can mm. uh, so that we can essentially grab something and keep it mm. and it's very hard to do so my my final question is do you think that memory can sometimes be like a siren which can lead you to sort of crash on the rocks because my, my thing is it's nice for me at least I dwell on all the you know beautiful lovers and friends that I've known over the years but ultimately you, you know we, we are here in the present today and I think yes. that the best 
part of when I read the book and watch the film is when it makes me feel like I should be creating more memories today and, and sort of like, you know, gathering my rosebuds while I, oh. while I sort of still can because what we have here today will one day be a memory and we need to make sure that we are actively living in the present. We should live in the present. Mm. Um, I, 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 I've always thought so and that's what the father is saying. Live in the present. Don't, don't, mm. don't fight the past but don't also anticipate the future. Stay in the present. And I believe that, except I don't know how to do it. Mm. Uh, I think that every whenever I go in, I used to go into a relationship, I would feel like, I know this is not going to last more than two weeks. I yeah. can already tell. And and people would say, don't be judgmental. I said, but I can tell. It's yeah. not going to go far. <laughs> and I was always right. Well, you made it happen that way because you... you yeah. No, I said, no, I just knew it wasn't going to go. Yeah. The ones that I, where I felt my whole life is teetering before this particular relationship mm. and this particular desire mm. are the moments when I felt I better I better control this uh -huh. because I'm, it might control me. Yeah. And I was going against the father's advice. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know you've got to rush off. It's very generous of you to squeeze me in. And uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a like, thank you so much. You, you're really very good at this. Uh, thank you. I have to tell you. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it was a total pleasure. Okay, I'm great. Thank myself. you. Yeah. Thank Enjoy you. Melbourne as well. Thank you. One thank night you. in Melbourne. Fantastic. One night in Melbourne. That's that's all I can do. Okay.